All right, folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Saturday morning as I record this, following the Denver Nuggets' loss on Friday night to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Final score, 136 to 130. And this was a painful one. This was a painful one for everybody. It was a good game, and I have to imagine that you, you get a bounce here, you get a a non-mistake there, and this game could have gone the other direction. And that's too bad. That That's too bad that Denver got this close in this game without being able to really put it back over the top. Uh, but there were real issues. There were real issues, especially defensively, but also just on the turnover front that really made this game difficult, difficult to watch in some regards because there were just only a few guys that really showed up. And that's always a painful place to be in a game that you needed to win, frankly. It wasn't a must win. And I think we will get into that in the third segment on how Denver can kind of bounce back from this game. But the play-in is officially a possibility again. If Denver doesn't take care of business against teams that are either A, better than them in case of Memphis, or B, potentially more desperate than them in the Lakers and the Spurs, then they are going to get God. And if that happens, then Denver could find themselves in a play-in scenario because the T-Wolves have a very easy schedule down the stretch, other than potentially the Chicago Bulls on the last day of the schedule. But we'll go over that in a bit. For now, let's talk about the starters. And and we got to start with Nikola Jokic, who played 43 minutes, over 43 minutes tonight against Carl Anthony Towns, against Nas Reed, everything that the Nuggets had to do, it ran through Nikola Jokic. And he... Did a lot of different things tonight, or last night, excuse me. But the first thing that really stood out in the first quarter was that Carl Anthony Towns went at him. Just just absolutely went at him on the offensive end. And Jokic had no answers defensively. And neither of these guys really had answers for the other guy because at halftime, I think you had Towns at about 6 of 8 shooting. You had Jokic, 9 of 11, shooting. Both of those guys, when they were matched up against each other, really couldn't do anything against the other guy, and they did it in different ways. Towns really spaced out Jokic to the three-point line and took advantage of one of the best shooting strokes in the entire world. And Jokic took advantage of the touch that he has inside and around the rim and barely took any jumpers in reality, he, he was mostly trying to push the entire focus of his game to the front of the rim. His uh his shot chart is actually something to behold. He had 17 shots, actually no, 19 shots in the paint tonight. And only two shots outside of the paint and they were above the break threes. Both of which I think took place in the fourth quarter, but I could be wrong. It's just a fascinating way for both of those guys to impact the game. And they did it in drastically different ways. Jokic, to his credit, had 24 points in the first half after Cat had really gone after him. 
but he also had 14 rebounds in the second half. He only had five in the first, and Denver then took him off of Cat. Uh, they they put Jokic on Vanderbilt. They put Jokic on Tari and Prince. When he was in the game, when he was on Nas Reed, he was able to sag off of him a little bit more. And to his credit, he grabbed 14 second-half rebounds, and it kept Denver in the game. It kept Minnesota off the offensive glass for the most part. Every offensive rebound that the T-Wolves then uh, subsequently grabbed was not on Jokic pretty much because he grabbed 14 second-half rebounds. But it was tough. It was a tough place for Denver to be where everything is having to rely on Jokic, and we'll get to Cousins in the second segment. But he played 43 minutes in a 48-minute game. Jokic was a plus four in this game, in a game that Denver lost by six. He had 38 points, 19 rebounds, eight assists. He did have four turnovers, and that's going to be a, a, an issue for Denver for the rest of the season, I think. But for the most part, he was fantastic once again. And it's too bad that it didn't come in a win. But 38, 19, and 8 is just bonkers. It's just a nuts stat line. It's the first of its kind this year. Nobody else in the NBA has put up that those numbers this year. And Jokic just he just did it. Like, and he's been very close to those numbers for much of the season as well. So interesting stuff from him. It's good and bad. I thought that he made some mistakes in the second half and especially the fourth quarter that were likely a result of being tired. He short-armed a couple shots at the three-point line, but so much of that is because he is carrying the burden for everybody else. Not enough players showed up around him. Two that did were Aaron Gordon and Monte Morris. Uh, Aaron Gordon, 24 points tonight, 9 of 11 from the field. 24 points on 11 shots for Aaron Gordon is really impressive. And he had 4 of 6 from 3. He he spaced the floor really well tonight and hit the only two free throws that he had. This was a very impressive game for him. He led the Nuggets in plus-minus tonight and spent a lot of his time on Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns. And when he was on those guys, he was mostly successful. Like Edwards had a had a contested pull-up three that he hit with Gordon right in his grill. Towns did have a like a fake dribble handoff where he got past Gordon. But for the most part, I thought that Gordon was Denver's like clear second best player, but simply like their best defender and somebody that Denver could rely upon. Because Gordon, for the most part in the first half and, and early parts of the second half, was on Edwards, and Edwards was basically one of ten. Edwards finished, I think, five of five at the end of the game. But it's tough to control that, and a lot of that was not on Gordon anyway. So it's tough. It's a tough place to be, but I thought that he showed up and... His scoring ability around the rim, but also spacing the floor tonight, was very impressive, and it kept Denver in it. Monte Morris, like I said, he showed up tonight. He did start very slow, and I was a little bit concerned, but in the second half, he had 19 points alone. And his ability to kind of space the floor, 
hit the tough three-point shots towards the end of the game really brought Denver back into it. And was it kind of garbage time scoring? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think that's really what it was. But he had 23 points in total, 8 of 12 from the field, 4 of 5 from 3, 6 assists, 2 turnovers, 2 steals as well. It wasn't a good defensive showing from him. I actually thought he was mostly horrible defensively, where D'Angelo Russell, Patrick Beverly, Anthony Edwards, they basically got where they needed to go against all of the Nuggets. And Denver was not able to really force a lot of turnovers. They were not able to force a lot of tough shots. Those guys took the shots that they needed to take. And down the stretch, D'Angelo Russell gets the ball at the nail with Monte Morris on him and, and just rises over the top of Monte because Monte can't contest that shot, really. And there are going to be possessions like that where all he can do is just crowd his airspace while not fouling and can't really contest up top. And D'Angelo Russell hit the shot. And that like, credit to him for being able to do that. There are going to be other guys that can do that in the playoffs, too. So a little bit concerned. And a little bit concerned that because I, I asked Monte last night about some of the blowbys that the Nuggets have had, and he talked about some of the blowbys are not necessarily blowbys as as charted by Denver. There are runoff guys on the perimeter where if you if you run out to a guy at the three point line, and then he blows by you, that's a little bit different. Um, I don't know. I saw a lot of stuff in the pick and roll, too, that I really wasn't pleased with, not just from Monte, but from Will and from uh, the bench guards, too. But we will see. Like, I mean, it's 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 tough. Like, you don't want to bash one person. You don't want to like because I'm, I'm talking about Jokic earlier and he really struggled in space guarding cat. He was much better when he was guarding Jared Vanderbilt, uh, but he also struggled against Anthony Edwards, where Anthony Edwards and other guys really went after him whenever they were isolated against Joker. Monte doesn't really scare them either. Like, if they have to isolate against Monte, they're going to be fine with that. And there's just very little Monte can do. There's very little Will Barton can do. But that's just kind of where Denver's defense is at right now, is they've got guys where there are too many weaknesses right now on the defensive front. Will Barton, he, uh, man, this was a rough defensive game from Will. This was a rough offensive game from Will. There's just a lot to really be concerned about. And it, it just keeps happening over and over and over again. And there were some good point totals in some of the previous games. I don't want to completely bury him because there are some times where he makes the shots that he's that he's given and has some pretty good numbers and that helps Denver get to where they need to go. But there's a reason why Minnesota scored 136. It's not entirely because of Will Barton and he was a plus 4 as well in this game in his 31 minutes. So I'm not going to completely bury him like a lot of people want me to do. But he didn't show up in this game. And there were several times where Bones Highland 
was brought in for him to play better defense, to play better offense, to connect everybody a little bit more, to provide a little bit more energy. And the fact that Bones was outplaying Will Barton defensively, I think is an issue. Barton is a veteran. Barton is somebody who the Nuggets should be able to rely upon. And he just hasn't been. Like, for whatever reason, I don't know what the reason is because there have been moments in the past, and not just moments, like like long stretches of time where Barton has been a capable, competent defender who can contest various shots, who doesn't get back cut, who more often than not is a good, strong defensive rebounder. None of those things have been true this season. And I don't know where it went. I don't know where, like, if it's a focus thing, if it's an effort thing, if it's a just a lacking athleticism thing, if he's, ex- if he's just tired and fatigued. But the Nuggets needed him to show up in this game. They needed somebody, like D'Angelo Russell scores 10 points right off the bat. Monte Morris started slow. He finished the game really well, but he started slow. There were opportunities for Will Barton to get going early in this game. And he had open shots, and he bricked them all. He had opportunities in transition. He had opportunities in the half court to make an impact. He had his shots sent back to Kingdom Come by Carl Anthony Towns. Um, there was just a lot going on tonight with Will. And the biggest problem is that there's nowhere to hide him defensively. Because while Monte has been really good and really solid on the offensive end for pretty much the entire year, he has to be out there for setting the table for everybody else. And the Nuggets play their best ball when Monte's on the floor. But he has his weaknesses. Barton is somebody that you should not have to account for. He's 6'5", 6'6", long arms, should be a heady defender. And he just isn't at this point. And we're getting to a point right now where him not showing up in these late games not necessarily being a factor. Like he he was a good in the Philly game offensively, but he was also really bad defensively for much of it. Him not being a factor is getting to the point where he may be benched in a playoff series. The Nuggets may have to go to Austin Rivers or Bones Highland or hell, Jamal Murray if he's back. And Barton would be the guy to sit. It would not be Monte Morris. It would not be Jeff Green. Aaron Gordon's a lock. Like, Nikola Jokic is a lock. Those guys are going to be in it. But Monte's been way better than Will this year. Like, there's no easy way to say that. Will has just not been that dude. And and it's too bad. Because for seven years, he's been a part of the Nuggets organization, been an absolute integral member of it, and their ethos. So I am upset by that, but you have to also be willing to face reality. And the reality right now is that Will Barton has not played good basketball for the last three months. 
And if that's where you're at, then the Nuggets are going to have to find some other solutions. And they're going to be looking far and wide. It's too bad. Finally, Jeff Green. Uh, he played well tonight in the 18 minutes that he had. He was a minus two, but there were some other reasons why Denver was a minus two. Denver experimented with having Jeff Green on Carl Anthony Towns, had Jokic on Jared Vanderbilt. And it was for that reason that Jared Vanderbilt only played 23 minutes. Was Chris Finch knew that that was something where Denver could come back. They could come back in that situation. And so Jared Vanderbilt comes off the floor, doesn't play at all, I think, in the fourth quarter. Tarian Prince finishes the game. Malik Beasley played pretty well off the bench. And Jeff Green, late in the third quarter, uh, he takes a charge from Carl Anthony Towns that was ruled a block, and then they reviewed it and, and confirmed the call. I thought it was a charge. And after that, he kind of ran off the court, uh, not immediately after that play, but when he was subbed out, somebody I think told him something and he was subbed out. And so he was questionable to return or he was out um, for personal reasons. I'm not sure what happened. It's too bad that whatever happened happened because they, they definitely could have used him in the fourth quarter. But uh, whatever it is personal, that obviously takes precedence. Not going to question that at all. Either way, 18 minutes, eight points, three of three, four assists, two steals. I thought he played pretty well offensively. And there were some other things that he probably could have done better, but it is what it is. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss the bench unit. But first... This podcast, as you know, it's brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. It's Saturday. The Final Four is here. We are almost through to the end of the biggest tournament of the year. We've got those four Blue Bud schools going at it this year. Villanova, Kansas, Duke, North Carolina. Lots of very strong programs. Lots of programs that everybody hates nationally. And if you have strong feelings on it, make sure to get in on the action before everything goes final this like this evening as DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a great opportunity where they can bet just $5 on any team to win, get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on college hoops with same game parlays where you combine multiple bets from the same game. For a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So make sure to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS, where you bet $5 on any college hoops team. Get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code MHS this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. Welcome 
Hi, we're back. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Always appreciate all the love and support on these podcasts. If you could, it'd be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the program on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. That would be fantastic. All right, let's talk about this bad, no good, awful bench performance. Uh, It's too bad, frankly, that Denver was in this position to begin with. They didn't really play well for a little bit. Jokic comes out of the game, I think, with about a minute, less than a minute left on the clock in the first quarter. And you're left with a lineup that includes Bones Highland, Austin Rivers, Davon Reed, Jamichael Green, and Boogie Cousins. And Jamichael Green made an immediate impact. He was good for Denver in a variety of facets. But when Boogie came in, it was just about as bad and as negative of two stints of basketball that I have ever seen in my entire life. And look, he made a three at the end of the first quarter, and that sort of saves it. Not not saves it, but but it it makes his stat line look a little bit better if you just check the the first couple of columns. But in five minutes tonight, Demarcus or last night, Demarcus Cousins was a minus ten, and the biggest reason why: five minutes, he had five personal fouls, four turnovers, and a tech. And the combination of those three, in It really was four minutes and 37 seconds. Like, it wasn't even five minutes. I'm not even going to give him credit for five minutes. Four minutes and 37 seconds. Five fouls. So he had more than a foul per minute. Four turnovers. He had basically a turnover per minute. And then he had a technical foul in that span of time. And to be that inept and that combustible in that short of time against Nas Reed... Tori and Prince, Malik Beasley, Jordan McLaughlin. Like, that's insane. That is insulting to be that bad. And and there's like there's no two bones about it. That lost Denver the game because Jokic in his 43 minutes, 43 minutes and 23 seconds, he was a plus four. So I'm not saying that if Jokic had played all 48 minutes that Denver would have won the basketball game. I think it would have been maybe even closer at the end. But if DeMarcus Cousins doesn't combust and he doesn't like make a complete farce of the bench unit, then things look a little bit better. And so I'm having a hard time blaming the rest of the bench for not necessarily playing well. Like Austin Rivers, Davon Reed, they missed their shots. And there were some other things that when they were out there that they probably could have done better. But DeMarcus Cousins basically single-handedly tanked the entire unit. He couldn't defend in transition. He couldn't defend in space. He fouled. Whenever he got the ball, he turned it over. It was really bad. And another blow up from him to last night, where he gets a tech after going to the bench with four fouls in two minutes, basically. He he lasted a whole two minutes and 30 seconds or so in the second half before getting another foul. 
But in the first half, he had four fouls in just over two minutes. And he went to the bench and got a tech immediately because he was complaining about it. And I just do not believe in his ability to make a positive, consistent impact in the playoffs because of moments like these. Because whenever Denver needs him in a high-pressure moment, he is either liable to fly off the handle or he could make a couple threes like he did against Philadelphia. It's one or the other. And it is a game of roulette that is probably stacked towards the house if you're throwing him out there in a playoff series. And Denver's going to have to because their bench has been so bad they need a backup center. But this is one of the reasons why when Cousins doesn't have it going, he can be as destructive as anybody out there. So I, I'm i sorry, but like the bad can sometimes outweigh the good. And I really wish that he didn't do this and that he could keep his composure. But this is a playoff environment. This game was a playoff environment for Denver. It was a must, not, not a must win, but... It was a game that if Denver didn't win, things are going to get really difficult. And they got really difficult because of DeMarcus Cousins. That's a tough place to be. Let's talk about Bones. Uh, 29 minutes for Bones. This was one of his rare off-shooting nights. He has very rarely been off. And so I give him a lot of credits for staying shooting in a game like tonight where Denver knew that they needed somebody, and they needed somebody on the bench unit especially to sort of take pretty much every shot because, like I said, Austin Rivers wasn't making the floor spacing stuff. Davon Reed wasn't making his shots. Will Barton really struggled. So Denver needed somebody who was willing to take the shots, and Bones certainly was. He ended up a plus four in his 29 minutes because he did make a positive impact. 14 points, 7 assists, 4 rebounds. He did have a steal and a block as well, including the block that he had was on a Carl Anthony Towns drive where he got past Nikola Jokic, and Jokic didn't want to foul him, but Bones got in his way and stripped the ball. And it's one of those plays that I will remember in my head because it led to points. I'm pretty sure it was a 3 from Bones immediately after that. And so he's liable to have those plays and those those momentum swinging plays that can really change the complexion of the game. And yes, he had three turnovers. Yes, he shot three of 14 from the field, two of 12 from three, but he got to the line six times, made all six of his free throws. And I just trust him, like less so because of the, the shooting percentage that I wouldn't trust him, but he has absolutely brought it in every single important game. And whether the shots go in or they don't, you know that he's going to make a positive impact on the game. He was much better defensively than some of his counterparts. And he was defending D'Angelo Russell down the stretch. D'Angelo Russell had like four points in the second half. And two of those points I know came against Monte Morris. So it wasn't necessarily Bones who was the guy getting roasted defensively. There was a lot to like about what Bones did and how he stepped up in a tough situation. Had he shot the ball better, it would have been even better. He is able to do that, though, and he has carried Denver in several games, so I'm going to give him the pass on this one. 
plus four in a game where the rest of the bench was minus 14, minus 10, minus 17, and minus 10. That says a lot to me. Jermichael Green. It was good to have Jermichael Green back. 18 minutes tonight, 12 points, 5 of 6 from the field, 2 of 2 from the free throw line. He was very important in, in this dunker spot gravity where he was able to uh, really make an impact as somebody who was spacing from the dunker spot. He has that timing down really, really well, whether it was Bones throwing an alley-oop to him, whether it was uh, Jokic kind of dumping it off after getting into the teeth of the zone. He like And Jamichael was just very, very good making an impact on the offensive end tonight. I don't think he made as strong of an impact defensively, and I think part of that was because he was stuck guarding Tarian Prince for most of the game, who's more of a floor spacer, who's somebody who not necessarily going to make an impact on the interior all that often. But I do think that Jermichael Green probably should have been out there at several points, and he would have been a good option to have to defend Carl Anthony Towns. Would he have fouled? Probably. He, he would have probably committed a few fouls on the perimeter that would have been scratching your head. But he's somebody who would be a good physical match against Towns, I think. And that would have given Jokic the opportunity to um, to kind of be on Jared Vanderbilt and, and mix that up just a little bit more. But that's probably not going to matter for Denver going forward because I doubt that they match up with the T-Wolves at any given point. Uh, but if they happen to then it would not surprise me if Denver starts games with Jermichael Green in the starting lineup if they were to ever match up with the T-Wolves in a playoff series. You have Jermichael Green in the starting lineup, guarding Carl Anthony Towns, playing the dunker spot, and then you have Jokic on Jared Vanderbilt or Torian Prince or whoever you want him on. Austin Rivers. I was pretty disappointed in Austin Rivers tonight. Or last night. Gosh, I'm going to keep doing that. He lost Malik Beasley a few times and allowed Malik Beasley to get into rhythm. Beasley was 15 points, 4 of 10 from 3. And was talking his head off the entire night to the Nuggets and to the Nuggets bench. And frankly, he deserved to because he played much better than the guy who they kept in his place in Will Barton. And... It was annoying. It was very irritating, but Beasley's an elite shooter. He's as good of a shooter as anybody in the NBA right now with the way that he is shooting the basketball. And the T-Wolves have desperately needed him, and he came through with the high-volume threes when they needed him to, spaced the floor very well for that second unit, and he was a plus five in a game where the Nuggets lost by six. So his margin was very, very important there. Rivers lost him a couple times. He bricked a couple open shots. Uh, it just wasn't a good showing for Austin Rivers, who finished with zero points, one assist, minus 17. A lot of Faku and Argentina fans were very irritated with me uh, because I did it because Faku is, is, should be playing in these situations in their mind. Faku is not guarding Malik Beasley. Like, Malik Beasley would rise over the top of him like he isn't even there. He did the same to Austin Rivers, who was 6'4". So what was he going to do to Fago Composo? Like, there's, there's no way. 
Now, would Faku have been better guarding somebody like Patrick Beverly or D'Angelo Russell? Maybe, but D'Lo was rising over the top of Monte Morris and Jeff Green, and he's he's not a driver. D'Angelo Russell isn't. He's more of a shooter off the dribble. So I don't know. I there's there's just no reason to think about Faku in this situation. Davon Reed, uh, the shot wasn't there for him tonight, and you expect him in these situations to play better defense than he did. Uh, he did not, and I was pretty disappointed with him guarding Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly went two of eight tonight, but two of the opportunities that he had, uh, one of them was against Davon, where he was supposed to force Patrick Beverly to the middle, let him get on the outside of him, didn't ice him, or not ice, but he didn't force him into the, the pick. He had him reject the screen. And then both of those times, Patrick Beverly just took it right at him. One, he got to the rim and laid it up. The other, I think he kicked it out to McLaughlin or Torian Prince, one of the two. I think it was McLaughlin. And who hit a three? Like you just look across the board at the bench numbers and the bench shooting for the T-Wolves. Like, first of all, the the entire team shot 47.5% from three. 19 threes, 47.5%, 19 of 40. They got to the line 36 times, 86%. Torian Prince was one of three. Nas Reed was two of four. That was a killer. McLaughlin was three of three from three. And his threes were open, so like it's you're going to get burned at various points if you don't guard. But and Malik Beasley was four of ten, so Minnesota showed up, and their shooters showed up, and they played connected basketball. And it's too bad that none of Denver's shooters really showed up outside of Aaron Gordon and Monte Morris. Like that's that's it. Nobody else shot the ball well. And Denver needed them to, and it didn't happen. And they needed probably one or two other guys to really show up. And it could have been Austin Rivers, who had wide open threes. Could have been Davon Reed. Neither of those guys scored any points. And it's just too bad. Tough loss, tough game. This is the second time in nine days that the Nuggets gave up or that they scored 130 points and still lost. It's the first time in 31 years that Denver's done that in multiple season, multiple times in a season. They've only done it like six total times since 1991. So Denver's not in a great place from a defensive perspective. And we're going to talk about that in the next segments, along with a variety of other things, including playoff ramifications when we come back. All right, back here, final segment, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you are, it's a tough place for Denver to be right now, where they had this emotional game, few games left in the season. If you win it, you're basically done. But now that Denver has lost it, 
And now that the standings have kind of shaken out to where they are, the Nuggets are back in kind of a tough place. And it's it's not a, not a great look for what they've got going on. And so let me just read off the standings here real quick. Um, just refresh. Sorry. Uh, Phoenix and Memphis obviously are they're well away. We don't have to worry about that. Golden State is 48 and 29. Denver can now probably not catch them. They are three losses back of Golden State. They would have to go 4 and 0 and Golden State would have to go at least 2 and 3 or worse. Dallas they're probably not catching because they have the tiebreaker. Dallas does despite the fact that Dallas lost to Washington. So had Denver won this last game, then there was an outside chance that Denver could have passed Dallas. Utah, I'm not really sure to think what to think of Utah. They're in a really tough place. I just assume that they're going to get it back together, but you never know. Like If Denver takes care of business, then they might be able to pass Utah as well. So Utah's at 46 and 31. Denver's now at 46 and 32. Minnesota's at 44 and 34. They are two games back of Denver, but they have the tiebreaker. So if they make up those two games, then the Nuggets are cooked and then they're back in the play-in. So the magic number is now at three. If Denver goes three and one in their final four games, then they are in. If Denver goes two and two and Minnesota drops one of their remaining four games, then Denver is in the playoffs, guaranteed. So they've got some wiggle room. Don't get me wrong. This isn't this. That's the reason why this wasn't just a a horrible loss. But Denver would have needed to go one and three over the course of the final four games, and they would have guaranteed a playoff spot had they won. So it, it is a big swing that they now need to go three and one in order to guarantee it. And here's the schedule that they have left. Tomorrow, they, oh, they'll they probably get on a plane today. Tomorrow, they are going to play in LA against the Lakers, who just lost a heartbreaker to the New Orleans Pelicans. The Lakers are currently 31-46. and 46, And I believe the Spurs have the tiebreaker over them of 32-45. and 45. So the Lakers are one game back of the Spurs and also have the tiebreaker against them. So I think they need to make up two games. The Pelicans have basically like they've separated themselves. They believe that the they killed the Lakers and their chances last night. So as long as the Spurs kind of take care of business, then Denver will be okay or then the Lakers will be okay or they won't be okay. Gosh. As long as the Spurs take care of business, they will be in and the Lakers will be out. That is what I'm trying to say. But the Nuggets play the Lakers twice, and they play the Spurs once, so they are kind of in the midst of all of this. So here's here's Denver's schedule. At Lakers on Sunday, home versus the Spurs on April 5th on Tuesday, home versus the Grizzlies on April 7th, and then they get a two-day break, and they're home against the Lakers in the season finale on the 10th. So they've got a lot of control here. Denver does. Like they they control their own destiny. There's there's no question about that. They can still get the 6 seed. They can still probably even rise higher than that depending on what the other teams do. I don't expect it, but if Denver were to go 4 and 0, get to 50 wins, 
Utah may or may not get there. So I am interested to see what the Nuggets do and how they sort of handle their business, but they've kind of lost their ability to really rest unless it's the final game of the season. Will Denver clinch? Will they be able to outlast the T-Wolves? I don't know. I don't know whether Denver's going to be able to go 3-1 and one over these next four games. They just haven't played great basketball pretty much all season. Like I don't think that they've played great basketball at any point in the season. I think they've played pretty good basketball. They've played a variety of teams and had some good performances, but I don't think they've been great. I think there's been a lot to criticize, and rightly so. I, I think it would be disingenuous to tell the fans of this team that their team has been playing great basketball at any point this season. Because you know it when you see it. You know it when a team just locks in. They have they can compete against anybody. They are connected on defense. They're connected on offense. Everybody's contributing. That just hasn't been the case. It has been the Nikola Jokic show for much of the year because nobody else has really stepped up and said, hey, I can really help out here on a consistent basis. Now, Aaron Gordon has had his moments. Monte Morris has had his moments. Will Barton had his moment back in like December, but hasn't really had that many since. Bones Highland's been good off the bench, but that's kind of a general expectation for most teams that they have a guard off the bench that can get you some points every now and then. It's not like a a massive thing. So I just think that Denver, they've played really good pockets of basketball. Like they've played pockets of really good basketball. The last being against Phoenix over a week ago where Denver had, I think, what was a 95th percentile game for them this season. And Phoenix just outplayed them and they're, they're much better. They're much more crisp in general. The defense just, it just isn't where it needs to be. And I worry about that, not just heading into the last four games of the season, but heading into the playoffs where opposing teams are going to absolutely abuse Denver's weaknesses because there are too many of them for them to cover up at any given time. There's only so much that like Jokic can do. There's only so much that Monte Morris and Will Barton and Aaron Gordon can do. There are going to be some really, really bad moments unless they start playing more connected basketball on the defensive end. And it got me to thinking and and kind of doing this list over of who I trust, of who is on the who's in the circle of trust for the Nuggets over the course of the next few weeks. Who can the Nuggets go to? that they know they are going to get high effort, high quality performance, uh, fill it, like fitting into the role that's designated for them, etc. I think Jokic obviously fits into that category. I think Gordon still fits into that category. He had some down moments and there were some occasions where he didn't show up. But for the vast majority of the time, when Denver has needed him, he has responded. 
Monte Morris, same thing. He's really shown up and, and definitely acquitted himself in a lot of these situations. I think Bones Highland, over the course of especially the last 20, 25 games or so, has been that dude for Denver. And they've needed his explosive scoring and playmaking. I think Jamichael Green has really stepped into a very solid role, has made sure to make an impact in the role that he has. Jeff Green, less enthused about Jeff Green in general, but I think I would still count him in in the circle of trust. He's going to make some good plays. He's going to make some important plays on both ends of the floor. And he's not somebody that's going to just be like completely out of the out of whack. Like if he doesn't have it, he's going to get out of the way and let others get their own. And that is a good skill to have. Austin Rivers is the same way, where if he doesn't have it, he's going to take a limited number of shots, and then he's just going to focus on the defensive end and making the extra pass and things like that. And I trust him to be able to do that. I'm not sure that Will Barton is in the trustable category right now. He's going to get his numbers at various points. And whether it's from the three-point line, whether it's on various drives, or if he gets out in transition on occasion, he's going to find an opportunity to get 10 to 17 points pretty much every single game. And there is something to be said for being in that category. I just don't trust his ability to stay locked in on the defensive end and to stay connected on the defensive end. There are just so few players right now where if you stick him on there and say, we need you to shut down what this guy does well, I don't trust him to be able to do that. Like, think about Minnesota last night. Was he going to stop Anthony Edwards from getting to the basket? No. Was he going to stop D'Angelo Russell from getting to his spots and avoid fouling? No. Was he going to stop Patrick Beverly from doing doing Patrick Beverly things? No. Was he going to stop Malik Beasley from running around screens and getting out to the three-point line and hitting those open shots? No, he wasn't. And so I don't know what type of player Barton fits on as somebody that he can guard that isn't going to put Monte Morris or Bones Highland, or Aaron Gordon, or somebody like that in a really compromising position. The Nuggets need Will Barton to be able to fill his role, to be able to defend his position. And I just, I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. And that's really, really sad because Denver needs somebody to step up. It should be Will Barton. And it hasn't been Will Barton. DeMarcus Cousins is out of the circle of trust. Like, I know he's had some good games and overreacting to this one may be a bad idea. I'm not sure how close he is on the technical fouls list, but he may be close to getting a suspension. And it would not surprise me if he was approaching that level. And every time he picks up a technical foul, every time 
he gives up a point by just losing his temper. Most of the time, it's because he was unenthused with the way that he played or with the the calls that he was getting and took out his frustrations on a referee. Or he got into like a scuffle with somebody on the other side, on the other, like the opponent. And I don't trust him to stay away from that stuff. Like we have a full sample size now. He's picked up double-digit technical fouls in Denver. And he's played like, what, 30 games? Like, what are we doing here? He has to be able to stay out of trouble. He has to be smarter with the basketball. He has to avoid fouling at the rate that he's fouling because it puts Denver in the bonus in the second and fourth quarter every single time. And then the opposing team's get a whole bunch of free throws as a result. So, I don't know. This was the first playoff opponent that Denver's really faced in a while, and he looked pretty bad. He looked pretty, pretty bad. And there are other playoff opponents that would make him look bad at various opportunities as well. So, just completely out. Bryn Forbes, also kind of out on. I do think that if Denver knew that they could not stop the T-Wolves tonight, the last night, then maybe Bryn Forbes would have been a better opportunity, would have been a better guy to have on the court than Davon Reed or Austin Rivers or or even DeMarcus Cousins, where you just go small, you play a spread it out kind of basketball, and that's just what you've got to do in order to keep pace with a team that's scoring on you, no matter whether you have your defensive guys in there or not. So I think there is something to that. But whenever Bryn's been in, he just hasn't really fit into things the way that I would have hoped, the way that everybody would have hoped. And it looks looks pretty weird. So whether that's coherent analysis or not, I don't know. But I just, I'm not sure where Bryn fits in to the playoff rotation and whether they're going to be able to trust him and play him extensively. That's basically it. Like, Faku's out of the circle of trust. There's no doubt about that. Marcus Howard, out of the circle of trust. And who else am I thinking of that's that's not already injured right now? Um, I think that's it. I can't, I can't think of anybody else. We talked about who am I missing? I'm not, I'm not sure who I'm missing right now. Um... Yeah, not sure. Oh, Davon. Davon, like he's he's on a two-way contract, so you can't even really play him in the playoffs anyway. So I I don't even need to talk about him on this. Like he's he's more trusted right now than Bryn Forbes is, that's for sure. And that's not a great situation to be in because he won't play in the playoffs and Bryn Forbes could. So either way, of the non-injured guys, that's where I'm at. Of the injured guys, obviously Vlaco's out. Like Zeke is probably out at this point. Don't think you can play him and insert him into what you're doing. Michael Porter Jr., like you're really putting him into the circle of trust immediately. 
not sure that Michael Malone would be super enthused about that. And I'm I'm not sure what's going on behind the scenes on that because I expected Michael Porter to be back. We had that Mike Singer report that he was – that he had a a setback. I think it was more just from fatigue, from overwork, trying to get it back. And I'm not sure where he's at right now, whether he's in line to play in the playoffs, whether he's not in line to play in the playoffs. But either way, like it would be hard to put him in the circle of trust despite how talented he is. Jamal will obviously be in the circle of trust if he comes back. Like I I don't think that there's any question about that with the way that he's played, with the way that he operates, with the the long-term prospects that he has with the team. He's going to be out there if he's available. And it's pretty clear that he's ramping up and trying to come back. Like He had a physical two-on-two workout yesterday prior to the game. It lasted close to about 30 minutes or so, worked on a variety of moves on both sides of the floor, the the left side, right side, uh, worked on post moves, worked on coming off of screens, worked on catching the ball and then attacking off the dribble. There were some impressive moments in there. I will say he didn't look super explosive jumping off that left knee, changing direction, elevating, etc. But he was still making some impressive moves. And so I don't want to just like say one way or the other whether I think he's going to come back because I do think that it's up in the air. If you give me truth serum, I think that he's really trying and that there is a target date in mind and it's relatively sooner than people think. But I do think that they're still playing it cautious that you try to work it out. You try to come back. You try to get to a comfortable place. Will he get to that comfortable place before the end of the regular season? I don't know. I do think the target date is before the end of the regular season. When asked post-game, Michael Malone didn't deny that Murray could play over the course of these next four games. He didn't say that he would, but he also didn't say that he wouldn't. And leaving that up in the air right now, I don't know, like there, there's a part of me that thinks, okay, so they're leaving it open just in case he feels good. It depends on where he's at, or maybe he knows something, or maybe he doesn't know something. There's another part of me that's like, okay, do the Nuggets just want fans to buy tickets and they're leaving it ambiguous for that reason? Because maybe Murray comes back, maybe Porter comes back, but they're actually not coming back. And ownership just wants fans to buy tickets. I don't know. I think that's the the cynic in me talking. It, it's not what my first thought was. But I do think that there is at least the possibility that that's what's going on. But the realist in me and the, the optimist in me is also saying that they're not shutting Murray down. And they still want to see if he could come back and compete. Monte Morris said he looks good, said he looks ready to compete. Joker, though, he said that Murray should not come back unless he's 100%. And I, I frankly agree with that. Uh, Joker said, quote, it's stupid. So my personal opinion is that if Murray is ready 
If he's 100%, I want him out there. I do think that Denver's ceiling right now with their current group is so low that even if Murray struggles, I am not going to feel bad about him taking minutes from Bryn Forbes and Austin Rivers and potentially Will Barton and guys like that. Not going to feel bad about that because if he struggles, I'm just going to assume that those other guys were going to struggle too. Even if it's for 15 to 20 bench minutes, like if he was just playing at a level that Bones is playing at right now, not necessarily like starter caliber level, but high quality reserve caliber of level, that means that Denver has another high quality reserve. Like that, that's great. That would be fantastic. If, if he was playing at Bones' level of impact, if you had two different types of Bones players, that's basically Denver's sixth best player right now, maybe higher. So you might as well try to go get that. That would be fantastic. I also just want to see him be part of the team. And if he is part of the team, then that would make things feel, I think, a lot better just in Denver's locker room with the fan base. Look, if if Denver loses in the first round and Murray plays and he doesn't look his best, I don't think anybody's going to criticize him or or criticize the team in that situation because these circumstances were just very unfortunate. They were tough. It was a bad place to be. But you got him back and and he's feeling good. And if, if he does feel good and if he does play, I'm not as worried about the results as I am about him feeling comfortable getting to a place where he's comfortable for it next season. Same thing with Porter, by the way. Although, for whatever reason, I I sort of I have more confidence right now that Murray comes back than Porter, based off of how Michael Malone kind of approached the subject yesterday. But we're in a very interesting spot. And if Denver takes care of business on Sunday, I think there is an outside chance that Murray comes back on Tuesday. Porter too, by the way. And if that were to happen, then the feelings around Denver, the vibes around Denver, everything sort of changes. Whether it really has a a massive effect on the playoffs or not, I don't know. I don't really care. But I want to feel good about this season. I want to feel good about where Denver finishes up. Jokic goes and gets a second MVP if that's in the cards. Uh, Murray comes back and, and you you get to see the old Murray-Jokic pick and roll, that, that dribble handoff dance, and you start to feel good about Denver's future again. That'd be a great place for Denver to be, even if they lost in the first round. I would not care if they lost in the first round. They would definitely trade that for Murray and Porter coming back. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate the love and support, as always. Thank you for listening to a later episode of the podcast as I get this thing up, hopefully by noon. But we're going to see. We're going to see how Denver reacts against the Lakers on Sunday. I'll get a podcast up after that as well, and we will have a great and fun an interesting and enjoyable opportunity to watch the rest of this Nuggets season and hopefully it goes well. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys next week.